Our second reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it was about two o'clock in the morning when the beeping began. This annoyingly persistent sound seemed distant, but close enough to wake both Blake and I up from sleep. Immediately the questions began. What is it? Are we in some danger? Has someone broken into the house and triggered the alarm? Is the smoke detector picking up on fire or is it just chirping for new batteries? Are the kids okay? And almost more importantly, are they sleeping through this? <laughs> we searched the house high and low and finally located the noise coming from, of all places, the hot water heater in the garage. And so we stared at it in groggy confusion and only one question came to mind. What does it mean? What does it mean? Neither of us, shockingly, are knowledgeable in how hot water heaters work, especially in the dead of night. After randomly pushing some buttons, Blake at least got the noise to stop. So the next day, we called the technician, who of course knew exactly what the beeping meant, came out, answered our questions, and after several days, the problem was resolved. Now this was a minor disruption in the grand scheme of things, but unfortunately we live in a world where there are much bigger disorienting things that happen all the time. Events that overwhelm our senses so deeply, it feels as though we might be losing our grip on reality. Surviving natural disasters, wars, physical or mental trauma, even losing a loved one can leave us grappling with more questions than answers. The major events of the past few years, from a global pandemic to escalating international and domestic conflicts, make it feel as though our lives are constantly changing. In the midst of the radical shifts we've witnessed, violence and suffering flood our media with breathtaking consistency. 
Sometimes we can hardly process what we're seeing. In our bewilderment, questions rise to the surface. Why is this happening? What can be done? And ultimately, what does this mean? For the Jewish people gathering to celebrate Pentecost in Jerusalem, a similar disorienting event would rock their faith and lead them to similar questions. Now, the children's sermon did a great job setting things up for me. I hope y'all are paying attention. Um, <laughs> most of the people who were gathering there, they had traveled from the far reaches of the Roman Empire to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks was a celebration God had established in the book of Leviticus to celebrate that summer, that late spring, early summer wheat harvest. Everybody would bring in their offerings and it would be... Um, dedicated to the Lord um, for his service and for feeding the people. Um, But over time, it took on another meaning and became a remembrance of God giving the Torah to Israel through Moses at Mount Sinai. Now, on that day, God claimed the Israelites as his people, and they promised to be a nation devoted to him. And so in this way, they were themselves a harvest of people consecrated to serve the Lord, just as all that wheat was that they were bringing in. Now, Israel, of course, received the law 50 days, seven times seven, seven by seven weeks, 50 days after the Passover when they were liberated from Egypt. And at this moment, they were unified as a nation in covenant relationship with their God. And ultimately, this covenant relationship is what kept them tethered when empire after empire came and attacked and destroyed them and they were scattered throughout the the known ancient world. So finally, someday, when these scattered believers were able to return to Israel and reestablish their homeland, something had happened. The Israelites had grown surprisingly multicultural in their time away. God's children now came from many nations, but they still faithfully traveled to Jerusalem several times a year to worship their Lord. And nowhere was this diversity more apparent than in their languages. Language fundamentally binds a people together and is perhaps the clearest expression of a culture's uniqueness. When traveling abroad, it can be jarring to hear those other languages that we don't know and feel confused and disoriented, and then how wonderful it feels when you actually hear the sound of familiar tongue somewhere else. It's like the calling of home. The abundance of languages in Jerusalem, they they were fascinating and captivating, but highly problematic for religious feasts. While believers shared a history and a faith, meaningful fellowship was limited because they could not communicate well. They could hear the Torah read and pray together, but sharing their hearts and their personal stories with each other was very challenging. That vertical command to worship God was honored, but the horizontal connection to the larger family of faith was hopelessly fractured. But at this particular Pentecost, God moved to restore that damaged communion among believers by restoring humanity's connection, full connection with him. So 50 days prior was a Passover celebration unlike any other. As lambs were sacrificed and unleavened bread was baked, an innocent man named Jesus was arrested beaten, and hung on a cross like a criminal. The images and disruptions of that holy day lingered 
and the streets of Jerusalem, keeping the city on edge. Adding to the tension were rumors of Jesus's impossible return to life, throwing religious leaders into a brutal frenzy of self-preservation. Would Pentecost go on as regularly scheduled and proceed as it had for hundreds of years? Or would something equally upsetting upend the religious order and cause the faithful to stop and wonder at what was going on and what God was doing? The Lord did not leave his people in suspense for long. That morning, a thunderous, rushing wind, much like the sound of violent ocean waves crashing, encircled those first believers of Jesus, his disciples. Now, unknown to the wider crowd, these believers saw tongues of fire come down and separate and descend upon each one of them, filling them with the Holy Spirit and enabling them to speak languages they did not know. These were many of them simple countrymen who had very little education. And so the fact that these languages were coming out of them was, was remarkable. So if the rushing wind had captivated the crowds, if the sound of that with fear and wonder, hearing the mighty acts of God spoken in their native tongues confounded them. God's truth rang forth, wrapped in the familiarity of their own language commingling stories of eternal home in earthen words of their adopted homelands. Astounded, the questions also started swirling as the crowd struggled to comprehend what was happening before them. Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Who are these guys and how are they doing this? This is not possible. But just as Moses beheld the burning bush, or Mary pondered a visit from the angel Gabriel, the crowds, encountering something so much bigger than themselves, asked that most significant question, what does this mean? The Holy Spirit's arrival at Pentecost, it reminds us that sometimes God comes to us in ways that they and we can hardly comprehend. For most Jewish believers, this was a shift from how they had traditionally encountered God. For ages, the Israelites returned to Jerusalem for holy days because God's presence dwelled deep within an inner chamber in the temple. If people wanted to know and experience communion with Yahweh, they had to be physically present at the temple. Extensive rituals were necessary just to enter. And even then, only the high priest who acted on behalf of the people could move beyond that curtain separating the Holy of Holies where God was from the rest of the temple. Heaven and earth after the fall only came together and met in that place. And that boundary between humanity and God was firmly fixed. Now that boundary was built by human sin, but in his love, God crafted the law to sustain some form of connection with his children. But despite providing this way for his people to return to him, human hearts remained hard and bent on rebellious destruction. But so deep was God's love for his lost children, he promised to move heaven and earth to save them, restoring them fully to his kingdom. And his promises, they reverberate over and over again throughout the Old Testament as he proclaims, I will make a covenant of peace with them. 
It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now that everlasting covenant he talks about of peace between God and his people came through Christ. For the first time since Eden, people could see, touch, and hear and know the very presence of God as Jesus walked among us. Jesus taught us what God loves, warned against what God hates, and revealed the beauty of our Lord who would sacrifice himself to save his lost sheep. Through his death on the cross, Christ destroyed that boundary of sin and hostility, establishing peace between humanity and God once more. Taking our iniquity upon himself, the death of Christ opens the door, not just for our salvation, but to begin the process of restoring communion, humanity lost so long ago. God's spirit was unleashed through that torn temple curtain, never to be apart from his creation again. Glimmers of this new reality dawned as Jesus frequently appeared after his resurrection, fulfilling his words, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, among his final teachings to the disciples, Jesus instructed them to prepare for when they too would be clothed with power from on high. He had promised to be with them to the very end of the age, but how would this be possible if he must also ascend to heaven and sit on the right hand of God the Father? And this is why Pentecost is so critical to our faith and discipleship as Christians. Christ's work must be completed through the Spirit if we are to be, as Peter calls us, living stones, being built into a spiritual house, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. The crowds at Pentecost gathered to remember their formation as God's covenant people by being bound together through the law that was given through Moses. Little did they know that God would form them into the first wave of a new covenant people being given to them through his spirit through Christ. And those images of wind and fire are unmistakable links between God's work in the past with his work in that moment. If it were a computer, it would be blue and you could click it and go back to the Old Testament and see wind and fire play out over and over again. Every apostle and believer would have recognized both wind and fire as signs of God's presence from their history. The wind recalls, among many other things, God's breath animating Adam at creation, that wind parting the Red Sea for Israel's flight from Egypt, and Elijah's encounter with God in that cave up in the mountain when he heard the still small voice. The fire reminds of God's steadfast presence in the wilderness, guiding Israel as that pillar of fire by night and that cloud by day. As Moses ascended Mount Sinai, there was that wind and fire at the top of the mountain that was God's presence. And then once they established that little tabernacle tent, that wind and fire came down from Sinai and hovered over the tabernacle as a very clear, unmistakable sign of his nearness and presence with Israel. However, the flame in the Old Testament was always one, one 
entity, one being. What we see in Acts is that one entity coming down and splitting up and descending upon people, filling them with the Spirit. God's presence was no longer in one place, but it was everywhere. It was no longer outside people's hearts, but within, purging evil, illuminating darkness, healing brokenness, and giving life to dead parts. At Pentecost, God's presence relocated from the inner chambers of the temple into the hearts of his children, making us living, breathing temples dedicated to his service. No longer inhibited, the Spirit-empowered growth, stoking a flame of God's love and compassion for a world of shadows and grief. His fire burns without consuming, carried by the wind in search of dried tinder to engulf and rejuvenate, spurring all people towards repentance and forgiveness of sin so that any one of us may be instruments of his healing and peace. Finally, that prophecy God spoke through the prophet Joel ages before was fulfilled. For the Lord had promised, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Inspired by this very prophecy, Peter, poor Peter, who kept stumbling and fumbling in his discipleship of Jesus, Peter delivers his first sermon, empowered by the Spirit, inspired by that very prophecy, as he attempts to answer the question that the crowd asked, what does this mean? God's Spirit is poured out on all people, and he makes his dwelling not only among us, but within us. But this isn't the end of the story. We are called to revisit this question as Christ's disciples, especially when confronted by those astounding things bigger than ourselves. Peter had a dream that unsettled his deep-held beliefs, leading him to question what it all meant. A shipwreck derailed Paul's mission plans, forcing him to stop and reevaluate where God was leading him. An Ethiopian seeker struggling to understand biblical texts had to stop and ask Philip for instruction. When stumbling blocks disturb our understanding, God's spirit moves within us, calling us to seek him in all things, to ask him what it means and ultimately what we must do. Leaning on our own understanding is at best frustrating and at worst destructive. Paul reminds us we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Apart from God, we grapple with life's mysteries in the dark, but the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to understand what we are to do, who we are to be, and what we are to become. So what does it mean to bear God's presence today? What does it mean to be a living temple today? What is it, what, how does our miraculous union with Christ bless our family, our neighbors, and friends? What does it mean as a church bound together as living stones to bear God's spirit in this place, in Jasper, in the North Georgia mountains? What does it mean to be an evangelizer of Christ in this nation in 2022, 
How is God shaping us to be his living temple in these times, surrounded by the overwhelming moments of this world? What does this mean? Calls every believer to lean into moments of holy confusion and trust that God has promised to work in us and through us for the benefit of his kingdom. Friends, our God remains just as active and present in the world today as he was when his spirit came down at Pentecost. He shows us a different and better way of being human. So the whole world might know our loving God has come to walk with and rest within his children and that there is an open invitation to join. Hallelujah. Amen.